would not believe your eyes if 10 million family guys were on TV and it was freaking sweet. Cause he'd fill the broadcast air, leave laughter everywhere. Some think it's crew, but I just wouldn't care. It seems today that all you see is violence and sex and movies on TV. It's hard to lie, I laugh and cry, cause he's a family guy. And I love seeing Griffins on the screens. How's that for you? I did. Wow. Damn, man. Holy fuck. How'd you feel about that one, buddy? <laughs> you whole ass in a way that I really uh, respect. <laughs> you just... <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> Welcome to It's On The List, a podcast about... I might, we might as well just say fuck it. Just, fuck it, you know? Like, let's just end the show after that. But I'm your host, uh, co-host, that is Noah Marger. You know me. Here again with Mason. And we have a guest we who a I guest. will introduce in just one second. I do like right? that he started... I'm going to introduce him in just one second. I do like that he started talking ahead of time. I wish that more of our guests would take that, the initiative, and start talking uh, in the middle of this. Because it's just... Uh, they know who we are. They might not always know who our guests are unless, you know, they're Adam Cash. All of our guests know who Adam Cash is. Um, every single one. Every single one. All of our listeners. Uh... But uh, we do have a guest. Noah, how are you doing? And you're still up in PDX, bud, right? Oh, baby, you know it. I'm fucking, I'm a PDX boy right now. I got the, <laughs> I got the flannel growing as a exothermic Ooh. layer on top of my <laughs> subcutaneous layer, if that is a medical term that I may use in these trying times. Uh, I got the wool hat. I got, you know, as you guys can see right now, I'm I'm basically a walking, you know, cappuccino because that's what we like here. You are. We like cappuccinos in, in the Pacific Northwest. Is that a thing? Yes. You guys, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? yeah, you guys know better than me. They, they drink an awful lot of, we've been watching Frasier as a family a lot recently, and they do drink an awful lot of cappuccinos on Frasier. That's, uh, that's a very like ruling class elitist. Pacific Northwest mm, mm, situation, mm. though. That's, like, totally. someone who probably, like, would still be voting for Hillary. Like, that's someone who we have writing it, Writing in Hillary uh, <laughs> in the election. Yes, writing in Hillary, even though he's just pissed. And he's like, fuck, I can't believe she's not running again. But our guest has been quiet, and I like that because I like when the guests <laughs> are submissive to my wants and needs and desires. Uh, but he's here. Uh, you may know him as a writer for Merry Go Round magazine. Seems like we're just kind of cycling through all those folks, but uh, he's here. He's also a writer in the grand scheme. He's always working on something. He's got tricks up his sleeve. You know, it's it's it's. Yeah. You may have seen him in some Costco's every once in a while before oh, yeah, all this yeah, madness yeah. That's started. That's my finest work. My finest work is in the Costco. That is your great. That's your Costco as text piece, right? That's you yeah. scouting out. That's you having a job in Costco so that you can under greater understand the greater text of Costco, right? We'll just say that. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know him. Mason knows him. Everyone know. Everyone knows him. Yeah. Like, obviously, everyone knows him. This is Jimmy Evans. Jimmy. Yes. Hello. I'm Jimmy. Jimmy, how's it going? It's good, man. It's good. I'm uh, about to move out of my apartment. Nice. An interesting thing to do in the current situation. I feel like I have pushed off my plans to have uh, left my parents' place by a good month or however long this is going to be until it's good to kind of move around in public again. Are you in L.A.? Where are you right now? 
Yeah, I'm in LA, coming to you live from the Silver Lake area. The Silver Lake? And now, are you so, under yes, or yeah. over the Silver Lake? Hey, I'm <laughs> I've seen that movie. I think it's all right. Can you tell our friend Mason about uh, the very fun thing that happens in your neighborhood every night at 8 p.m.? Oh, Mason, I don't know if this is a phenomenon where you are, but every night at 8 p.m., my neighbors will get go outside or fling the windows open and furiously clap and scream and yell and sometimes they bang pots. Uh, yeah, a, yeah, they do. They do that. I've heard that's a thing <laughs> in the city proper. <laughs> I am in the burbs right now with my folks, and okay. everything is just kind of like on the same general like vibe most of the time, which is. Bad things are happening everywhere else except for here, you know. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So there are no, uh, there are no spontaneous. I'm, I'm happy as hell to be quarantined, and I'm gonna show my appreciation to the first, to the healthcare heroes or whatever we're, we're calling yeah. them now. So that's that. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of nuts. No, is there anything similar like that going up in your neck of the woods? Uh, no one except for me is doing it where I lean out my window every night at 8 p.m. and I clap for Jimmy and I'm like, yes, good job. Thank you for clapping for the healthcare right. workers, you and I rich just, like, piece of shit. And I just clutch my chest in like pain. Yeah, you have a mini stroke every time that that happens, yes. right? You just like, you just are like, oh, yeah, every yeah. single time. It's actually He's very, very powerful. He's very <laughs> It's actually very nice <laughs> and fun and everyone likes it, including me and my sister who says, keep going, good job every night when I do it. Um, what else? Is there any other strange occurrences happening? It's a weird area. I mean, it's a weird area, but it's also like, it's a nice area where you're going yeah, yeah, nice back area. to the Orange nice County, area. right? I am. I'm going back to Orange County. I'm going back to the Fullerton area, the city of Fullerton. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. I don't know. It, <laughs> I mean, what can you, what, I, mean, I mean, I have to do it, right? So yeah. it's like, yes. you can't feel, from, I don't feel really go? complicated about it. It's kind is that of, where you're from? That is where I'm from, yeah. Yeah, okay. What's Fullerton We like? love it. it. It's like, I, that was always a place that, like, I, there's so many, like, excerpts of LA like I feel like when you're you come to a new city for the first time and within like the first month you are more or less handed a pamphlet that have just like the name of five or six maybe even more like kind of outlying suburbs and you'd never visit them ever you only know of them because like sometimes you overhear the news while you're waiting for your oil to be changed you're like oh there's a backup in Fullerton or something and you're like that mm-hmm, sounds like mm-hmm. a place you know that is, uh, but what? How would you describe Fullerton being the? It's on the list official Fullerton area correspondent. Yeah. 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 Well, do you know of Orange, the city of Orange? Have you, if you know Noah Marjorie, <laughs> yes. you may know. You know, I have actually yeah. been to Orange uh, through All Nina right. Kramer. That we can thank Nina Kramer for my oh, one. Okay. Of yeah. two trips to Orange. What's up for Nina Kramer? Yeah. What's nice. up for former guest? It's. Yeah, so is it it's it is it's interesting because much like Orange, it is a college town. Uh it doesn't have like the resistance to it in the way that people in Orange did to the university that is there that I went to with Noah Marger. Because uh, <laughs> there's a Cal State uh university in Fullerton. So it has mm, that vibe, okay. you know. There's like a 
the downtown area is like very hopping sort of infamous people from other neighborhoods go to downtown Fullerton to get fucked up. That's true. We always would like nice. hear about like, not like my immediate friend group, but like we would hear people like, Oh man, the fucking bar scene in Fullerton, dude. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, and I always laughed <laughs> yeah. because like, that's not a good sentence, like in any way, shape or form, <clears throat> like the fucking bar scene in Fullerton, but it is a college town more or less. I mean, that university has got to be bigger than Chapman. It's got to be at least probably what, like 15, 20,000 kids. That's not my overshooting that one. It's very big. It's very big. It, yeah, I don't know. It's like many times more than at Chapman, which maybe says something about why it's like a different vibe. Um, but it actually is really nice there. I don't know. It's hard. I lived there my whole life. I even stayed there during college. So I did not have much of a sense of perspective on it until I left. Right. Well, speaking of a nice vibe, <laughs> Segway <laughs> King. Segway Prince pod. on that one. Segway King. I'm going to Segway Prince you that one. I'm going to Segway Prince <laughs> okay. that one. We have two things from you today, Jimmy, that you were nice enough to bring on. The first is the album. The next is the movie. We're going to mm-hmm. start by talking about Marigold, the 2020 release from the band Pine Grove. Now, this is... This is very, it's not completely out of the norm for this show to have brought on something from the current year, but mm. it doesn't happen all the time. And so, yeah, give me a couple questions I'm going to throw right at you to, be, to kick us off here. First of all, what's your relationship to this band and why bring on this album from this band? Yeah. So my relationship to this band, I was a big fan. I was a big fan of them like right around... Maybe right like before the period when people you know people writing about them describe it as the moment when they were blowing up um yeah, and it was kind of a very pure fandom in the way of like I randomly went to a show with friends. I didn't know a single band on the uh marquee or whatever, and I didn't even like particularly like this genre of music or know about it even mm-hmm. uh like sure. i had no thoughts about it at all and i kind of went to this random show probably like 2015 in the observatory and i saw them and i quite liked it it kind of there, there's a few songs there that i strongly i have strong associations of friends or memories of driving around orange and thinking about college listening to the music because the music is a lot about, it's very thoughtful about like. Being are you talking young. Cardinal? Or are you talking the first album? Yeah, the f- yeah. yeah the okay. the first album, and uh, yeah, so I was a big fan, and I kind of fell off on the whole project. Um, I don't know. Well, before we get into like the thing, I'll say like the reason I brought it on is I'm really interested in like I hadn't I hadn't listened to this new album, right? Yeah. Like I was a big sure. fan, and I just like slowly but surely like detached myself from them even though it was very meaningful for me at the time and i wanted to give it a lesson finally and i just you know wanted to talk about like the thing that happened and like yeah how right. that affects like what do other people think about this you know so that's why i wanted to bring it on for you guys totally well thank you so is this is this a first listen then for this pod like you are not heard this album yet and you're like you know what this is in a way a comeback album Let's bring it on the pod. Let's sort of like dissect this thing. Yeah, yeah. I this is my first time listening to it. That's I think I, a first for us. When I recommended it, 
Yeah, I think that's a first for us. I think most of the times people come on the show and they're like, oh, I have a strong association with this or I have something that's been in my life for a long time. I just kind of want a space to talk about it and promote it. This is the very first time I, to my memory, where someone's like, I need to kind of hash this out like live with other folks. Uh, And I, for one, think that's pretty cool because this is like album, like the kind of artistry and content of the album aside it's in it, the whole situation around this band is very uh, complex. I don't want to yeah. say complicated. I think complicated. The difference for me between complicated and complex is like like a spider web is complex. It's not complicated. There's a bit of delicacy to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Complicated on the other hand, just like you throw your hands up, like I don't fucking know. It's complicated. You say that right before you give up. Um, yeah. Noah, do you have any associations with this band ahead of time uh, before Sir Jimmy brought brought this project on to us? Not really. I think that the I think that Chef Jimmy bringing on this album was actually very a, like a very good situation because this is one of those bands that like friends that are always listening to like what I'll call like quote unquote cool music. You know, like sure. they're always like listening to Pine Grove. Like I have one friend in particular who's like a big pine grove guy and he's from like you know the he's from the south but he's not really from like the deep south it's like a borderline midwest you know there's certain states on the map and this is one of them where depending what's, on where you're from state? what either, state are you talking about certain states we can't listen, listen to me here kids. listen to what i'm about to say let me finish boys uh um, you're gonna no, shit when like, he tells you the state. <laughs> you're gonna fucking shit wait, your honestly. pants. <laughs> Depending on where you're from, Arkansas is either the Midwest or the South. You're, you're absolutely mm. correct on that. You are absolutely correct. And on so that. my buddy is like loved this band, and that's kind of the only like thing about the band that I knew of. And it was one of those bands like, oh, maybe eventually I'll listen to Pine Grove. And I even asked him once. I'm like, what's the best place to start with this band? And he was like, oh, Cardinal is, like, the best place to start with this band, which I think a lot of people would probably just be like, yeah, just start there. But with the exception of that, this is my first ever listen to anything that they've ever done. And I like that you said that, Sir Chef Jimmy, about uh, it. you listening to this band at a time and having, like, remembering a lot of things because that is exactly – the vibe that I get from this band. Yeah, this is one of those yeah. bands that I like, well, like this, I was listening to this, like in, I try and listen to these in the car because I feel like I'm being more productive. If I listen to them, like in the car as I'm like just mm-hmm. driving around mm-hmm. aimlessly, you know, as opposed to like sitting down, like do I, I can't do that. But so I'm sitting there in the car listening to this and just like, because of the state of where we're at now, like a lot of you would just have a lot of time. Most people that we know right now to just, think about where you are, where you've been. There's a lot of change that's been happening for certain people. Uh, and it is just one of those very reflective albums and a very reflective sound. One of the like labels that I found for this band has been alternative country, which I think is a very interesting label. And I yeah. wanted to get your guys' takes on that. But before we do Mason, what is your history with this band or this album? So I think it's similar to, uh, this album fresh to me, honestly, I, um, Old Friends came into my life, the song off Cardinal, um, by maybe all accounts, their signature song. That was a Discover Weekly track. Um, 
Uh, Classic. For, yeah, for me, and I want to say probably early, mid-2017, um, it could have, like, the kind of timeline on when that eventually that came in is a little wonky um, for me, but definitely right post-college um, and beginning of my kind of professional career in LA, like, trying to, like, my first full-time job in L.A., and definitely in a time that when I hear that song, all I can kind of think about is the, like, early spring dreary uh, L.A. overcast, and just, for mm-hmm. me, sure. being a kind of uh, f- friendless dork, <laughs> for lack of a better term, in L.A. during that time, I was doing heavy reminiscing on like the just the immediate past uh and like you know what my friends that i left in chicago how they all meant what they meant for me how i like missed them all the time how i was like nostalgic for that immediate past and that song really resonated with me um and i didn't really think to dive into the rest of their um kind of catalog i kind of it was like i'm satisfied just having this and this song being like the pinpoint for my emotional experience at this time of my life and then the next thing i remember about this band is the whole thing <laughs> the whole right. uh which the incident the yes which is now the time that we want to like kind of transition into this serious discussion <laughs> um because it's kind this is their first not first release but first album after um the lead singer um evan stevens hall i want to say that's his name it's 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 yeah that's right yeah something like that he um in the midst of the me too era uh november 2017 posted this facebook status that the band was going on hiatus and he was going into therapy for a year uh because he was accused of uh, sexual coercion, or it was like just, I think that's the word that he mm-hmm. used. Um, sexual coercion, very, uh, and that's just kind of that's the timeline of events. That's like one of the first things that happens. That's November 2017, and then true to his like kind of commitment, there wasn't really any Pine Grove in like any 2018 until about September, uh, when there album which had been written before but shelved during this period um was due to be released after that year had passed and then i read this pitchfork article about uh kind of the hit like the thing like the summation of what happened there um and that is kind of the last i thought of pine grove until jimmy brought on Marigold. Um, Yes, Jimmy, do you want to, since you had a little more of a history with this band, where were you at with your fandom with them when this Facebook post uh, came about? I mean, I was stoked for the new album. I knew it was coming out, right? And then it it ended up getting delayed. Um, It had, like, right, like you said, it had already been finished. But uh, when it came out, I mean, it was right in the middle, like you're saying, the the me too thing was happening so like there was lots of uh conversations about like dealing with this from like creatives and like being 
a follower of someone who's accused of something terrible. And I remember being struck by, as you put it, the, uh, how complicated it was. Um, yeah. And not... And feeling like very confused about it, very like yeah. disordered myself about it in the sense of like, I think a lot of times like people can be an apologist for terrible things by by throwing their hands up and saying it's complicated. Like that is like a thing people do. Yeah. And sure. like, I'm just like hyper conscious um, of my like media consumption and um in, you know in particular with this and like I feel like the intensity like some dial is turned up when I'm thinking about this band or trying to like wondering if I want to like listen to them because with other people the stories to me I it's very simple and I don't feel a major totally problem you know it's whatever it's yeah. easy to do to it's- just like change your habits but with exactly, this, yeah. uh, I didn't feel like, I guess the thing is that I, f- I had this weird suspicion, like, well, how are we supposed to, like, deal with the fallout of this? How does someone, like, come back from this? Is this, like, maybe one of the ways to, like, you know, a little bit, like, have the justice that everyone is trying to have? I don't yeah. know, but it it feels, because of all the specificity of the the thing, maybe... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I felt that initially and then I, because it was so complicated and like, you know, feeling like I could imagine all the conversations about like everything I was believing about it. I just kind of like shut it off and was like, easier just to not inter- engage sure, with it sure, and yeah. have to feel particularly well, complicated it's, about it. It's an interesting, it's kind of an interesting position to be in, especially during, uh, that time when, everything you know what felt like everything was being sort of unleashed in the media and the news outlet and what really is interesting to me are the are two things about this is that one things were left vague you know things were left very vague yeah, things yeah. were left very like very on unspecific terms and the second is the lead singer slash, you know, there's only really two real members of Pine Grove. There's Levine, Zach Levine, and then there's Evan Stevens Hall. And Evan Stevens Hall really got out in front of this thing and basically said, we're shelving the album for now. I'm going to go into self-exile. Whereas before, or not before, but like during a lot of this, it was story breaks, speculation, uh person makes a statement you know in some cases they go away in some cases you know depending on like who it was you just don't really hear from them anymore but they're like still doing shit you know Mm -hmm. but with this one this guy got really out in front of whatever was happening and granted pine grove isn't on the same level as like a louis ck or a kevin spacey and yeah. it's not it's even very clear. Sorry, Jimmy, go for it. No, I, I mean, it's like what you're saying about it. it's not, it's a different like order of celebrity, certainly. But like the scene that he's, that he was definitely a part of is hyper aware of these things. Definitely. Sure. I like, yeah. Better at handling it, but also not better at handling it in certain I ways. Was, like a lot I mean, of, yeah, I'm guys. not super into the scene, but I did have mm-hmm. like, 
I, and by that I mean like I wasn't constantly going to shows all the time or something. I had a lot of friends, and when I would hang out, you know, sometimes conversation would drift into the sort of the scene and like the drama or whatever. And this was for like, like this was a not uncommon thing. Like in both uh, in kind of all three articles that I read, there's one on spin uh, that's really good that kind of details the sort of just after. Uh, uh, more about like the kind of the punk talks, kind of how they're fixing themselves. That's or, a whole. That's a whole other thing, thing. Yeah, there's which the people should just read about. Yeah, uh, I'll to mean, explain I'll, it is I'll too link, much. It is, yeah, and I'll link all of those yeah. in the description if people are really uh, curious about it. And there's the pitchfork, and then there's also one from earlier this year, uh, written in the New Yorker, which has a little more, yeah. just a, a smidge more detail about uh, Evan Stevens Hall. Uh, the, Accuser is such a loaded word, but I don't have a different... Because I don't want to say victim, because mm-hmm. that sounds wrong, but the person that came out and said, this happened to me with this guy. Uh, yeah. And I don't have... There's not, like, a kind of a middle word that I think is appropriate that I can think of right now um, that shed a little more context into their relationship. And it was like, oh, like, this is more or less a kind of a workplace violation than a strictly, like... Because when you hear about these things, it's interesting it, to think about it that way. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. And when yeah, the point I was going to do is like when you when you heard about these, or when I would hear about these, or taken these like kind of the I can't remember one of the bands that was kind of big in this scene that was really uh, it, it's it always seems like it's from the band to a fan or something like that, or it, it's it's ex- exploiting that kind of um, relationship and that kind of uh, power dynamic. It's re- it's when to my knowledge um it wasn't from like a a a band member to somebody that they were like touring with or something or some member of their crew or which is what it was happened in this case as far as i can read and that's why i think the um it, it, to your point saying i do agree that this is in this scene people are really quick and good to kind of just like because it is you know DIY or whatever you want to call it. It's 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 a scene that's kind of perpetuating and making itself as it goes along. It's very easy for words yeah, to spread, to and they can just be like, mm-hmm. "You're off the fucking bail, bud. Like you're you're done. Right. You're out of here." Um, Whereas, yeah. but it's also in this weird like kind of I think cultural middle ground where there's enough fans where if something like this happens, they really take a fucking beating. And I think that I didn't reread Evan Stevens Hall uh, his kind of post about it. But it, it, when that happened, I remember being, like, thinking, like, seeing that this was happening, that the post was made, and thinking, like, this is maybe the first best way to handle being accused of this. It's just to kind of be, like, I'm listening and I'm taking a step back for a year or however long amount of time. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that's, you know, that's how I feel about, like, assist, like, I don't know if, I mean, how perfect or not perfect it is. It doesn't matter, but it does feel like something that points towards what everyone just wants, which is like sit down and like talk to the person that you harmed and and fi- do figure out what they need from you. Exactly. And that yeah. and that this is one other thing to mention is like the kind of dropping off for a year and delaying the album was at the request of the person that was harmed, and right. that's really the one. Like of all the details, like we talked about, like how complex, like the. I keep wanting to uh, say, uh, what did you say? Complicated Com- and not yeah, complex yeah. because yeah. of your lovely metaphor of the spider webs. <laughs> but uh, yes, 
it seems really complicated but for me like when i heard like that one detail i was like that seems to be like the thing right like do what the person asks you and like yeah maybe totally. get out of the public eye whatever they request i think they wanted him to go to therapy he went to therapy and that's um, i think a thing that i think just uh, you take this that sort of sentiment and those that action out of this specific situation apologies are not about the person apologizing apologies are about the person you're apologizing to exactly and that is something that the sooner you as like just a person can understand you are going to have much happier and healthier relationships you are not apologizing because it's about you you're apologizing for you know it's about the other person it's about what that other person needs wants feels Mm -hmm. Whatever, regardless if you agree yeah. about it, which in this case there's not really an agree, you know, aspect of it. Clearly, something was done that was inappropriate, and he really like you know, as far as we can tell, again, there's not a lot of concrete information out there about what yeah. this right. what this yeah. event strictly was. That's a really good point, but, and I kind of forget that Noah, but I appreciate you. But that bringing that, that apologies it, are like for the other person. Well, the 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 that the like. There's like not a lot of the details are concrete, which how could they be, right? Yeah, uh, right. but th- that there's something about the vagueness which I think, uh, uh, like, nags at me. I, it made listening to this album weird for me. So it definitely yeah. did. Um, I'm I'm with you on that. I, you know, if that's how the 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 person who was harmed, I like that you said that jimmy i think that that's a good way to put that um if they i don't begrudge them for wanting to stay like kind of away from this because it clearly was something that caused a lot of harm enough to speak out and be this is this is what happened the point is it seems like he was genuinely interested in being held accountable for this but that doesn't mean that it Mm. astroturfs and like kind of erases the harm for what happened here um that to talk about the, point. yeah to talk about the album though i listened to it once and then i did some research you know read the spin the pitchfork the new yorker article um in between lessons and coming back to it it was kind of like coming back to and listening to marigold the second time it was a little bit more like it's kind of was like my feeling with the aziz and sorry special that happened right after all his stuff happened where it's like I, you're talking about it in some way, but it doesn't really feel like, to, it, to my kind of read on it, it, it doesn't feel like you're comfortable sharing the full depths of your exploration with us. Not that that's necessarily owed, I don't think, um, but it is nice, I, but maybe it is owed. I don't know. That's the other thing. It's like you're this this public figure, this person that people look up to, and you go through this fucking shit, Um you should i would think that you would want to come back and be like have a little more perspective to share to prevent such things from happening i guess is kind of where i'm at with the album where it's like i liked mm-hmm. listening to it but it didn't feel substantive for the kind of context around it um it, it, that's just what i have to say about it right now what how do you yeah. guys what else do you guys have to say about like well, the situation I was, or the I album i was going to ask you 
uh, because you said that listening to this album, knowing what you know, it was sort of weird for you on that level. Can you sort of, A, talk about that, and B, if you did enjoy this album, what did you enjoy about it as someone who is a fan, and also if you were going to talk about this album to somebody else? Yeah. Uh, yeah, The my, like, weird feelings about it, I it felt very light in a way. It felt like... Um, Again, it's very, it's hard. I don't exactly know how I feel about it, but I'll say I felt like uh, a, a vague sadness and like disappointment in the sense of like, I guess I expected it to sound a lot different. And I guess I expected it, you know, here the thing is it does, the sound is different to me, mm-hmm. but in a way that doesn't make me feel great. Like, I feel what is louder is Evan Stevens Hall's like uh, presence or portion in the music, which was always huge. Yeah. But there was a point when they were before they had blown up, when he really felt like a secret in the project, and it was pretty special. And it's interesting. Like, of course, he was going to become the most like famous part of it. He kind of is like his interviews, his whole vibe, the shit he talks about squares, you know, and <laughs> language arts rock. Like, yeah. there's this whole culture around the the music that he was uh, important in creating, really. But, well, a culture around him, almost. Like, he kind of created that yeah. culture of himself. Yeah. And a culture around him, which makes the coerciveness weird. Also, uh, Definitely, but, yeah. But to the, for the music, it, I... I, I didn't enjoy like the presence of him and that it was so like light i, I don't know if it's gonna be like you yeah, like, i get what you're saying I, th- I th- that's a really great point because that is like he does feel much more in the forefront versus like the the one and only kind of song that i know by him uh, or by them you know mm-hmm. he feels much more forward and maybe that's why it feels so light is that this would be a really great opportunity for him to come forward and really be accountable for kind of everybody uh in the scene everybody kind of paying attention and he comes forward and just like kind of it's not that the lyrics are bad or anything you know it's not that there's not stuff of substance here it just kind of feels like it's a little more outwardly focused at a time when that's not really yeah. I just I just didn't buy it as like think. how I did before it felt it felt light it felt like the same thing and it felt like I, I was really expecting something different because of my I mean really it's, it's I feel like it is all on me in a little in a way like I feel very different about them and I feel sure. a little bit different about yeah. that time in my life when their music was meaningful to me and I th- yeah I think it explains why even the whole ethos of it is it's just not as you know inflaming for me it doesn't light me on fire it's interesting it's interesting that you would even choose those words i think that you have decided to use to describe it because i would say out of the three of us i'm the least connected to pine grove like at all 
Right. Um, and listening to this, I listened to this album twice. Unlike Mason, who lies about listening to albums twice, I actually do listen to albums twice on this show. That's your uh, new favorite bit, and <laughs> it's, it's still funny. It's I gotta tell you, bud, you gotta give it, do it every single week because it's still funny. Noah's gotta get some barbs in before uh, we kill him <laughs> for not liking Chimes of Midnight. Okay, we can just. That's what I'm doing right now is I'm making monkey sounds, baby. I feel fucking alive and dead at the same time, brother. Um, oh, boy. No, oh it's boy. just interesting that you would that you would use those words because on my first listen to this, I kind of just felt like this is kind of whatever. Like I was just like this almost like doesn't register as anything. Like it's just sort of on. Upon my second listen, I did find some other tracks where I was like, oh, these are nice. Like, I think the dotted line into Spiral, into The Alarmist, those first three tracks on the album, that little run is nice. Uh, I did yeah. find myself enjoying that that part of the album. But mm-hmm. I really did not care for the way the album ends. The album ends with a song a called annoying. Neighbor. It's a little annoying. It's a little bit playing. In- it's weird because, like, indie whatever you want to call indie, it used to be like a sound, like it, like it used to be like a sound that people would describe things as now it's almost sort of like a way of being about your sound as opposed to the sound itself, which I think is sort of like a weird change. I like how you put that. Thank you, chef. Thank you, chefs. Um, (laughs) And the way that the album ends, I like Alco. I thought Alco was fine, but neighbor into Marigold and it's just kind of self fellatio a little yeah. bit. It yeah, feels dude. like, it's, like it's it just sort of six... is not that interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's straight up. I don't mind the song "Neighbor" as much. Um, I kind of wish that it. Uh, I, I, that's one of the songs where I'm like, I, one of the, the songs, the full songs, where I was like, could have done a little deeper search on this and come up with something interesting. I think, but then it goes into Marigold, and I don't dislike marigold for the first two minutes and then it's a six minute song and i'm just like come on player like what is going on i actually did i i bet myself that the alarmist would be your favorite song on this album actually no like it's it's something about that really wow uh, really about that song was like this seems like a noah song um but wow, that yeah. is very. I don't know if that's a that's a big yeah. kiss or a big, big showing kiss. me your ass, Mason. I'm not sure, but <laughs> <is> um, <laughs> Jimmy, d- did you actually like care for any of this? Like, did any of this actually like make you feel anything that you're like, oh, I'm really glad I chose this, or does this just sort of remind you of like, oh, damn, I used to like this band? Yeah. Uh, I think it's maybe the latter a little bit more wow. than anything. Yeah, I think it just reminds I, you of I like kind yeah. of. I just it just it, you just kind of felt like you grew up, uh, have grown up significantly since when this band was a big part of your life, like that kind of thing. I, that is a part of it. Could be a large part of it, but again, we've everything we've talked about is a part of it too. Right, and it affects sure. the art. You know, it affects my ability totally. to believe that. There's like a whole thing here, a whole worldview, a whole like spirit. I don't know, and like, yeah, it it's interesting because uh, on the last album, there's like I feel like one song at the end of that of that album, Skylight, which I really like actually. Okay, and that song, it's 
they turn up the Christian rockness of the sound to like yeah, max. Chef. They become incredibly Christian rocky. They, yeah, they, they turn it up, and this album is kind of all the Christian rock. It's, like, all there, and it's, like, all not convincing. I'm not feeling moved in that way or, like, ready for that kind of intense sentimentality. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Very, I feel you on that. It's very intense, and it is very sentimental. I will definitely give you both of those. Do that. we have anything else that we want to say about this? Because we still do have a movie to talk about, and we I'm eating pancakes for dinner, and so I want to get to that. Yes, <laughs> chef. There you go, ladies uh, and gentlemen. I don't know. I mean, most of I think most of my feelings of this album are kind of on the context and around it, and with the band, which I, if sure. anything that anybody has any questions about how I feel about that. DMs are open, baby. Come in. Hash it out with me. I'm curious to hear everyone's perspective. But this is, like, similar to Jimmy. It just kind of feels like a band that was being um, mentioned, I think, in every... I can't remember if I said this back when I was going off earlier, but a band that came up that was, like, kind of similar was Sorority Noise. Uh, Aurority Noise, I saw them in concert once because I went to see, they were on a bill with Modern Baseball, and I went to see Modern Baseball. And Modern Classic. Base, yeah, they, that was a good show, actually. Uh, a uh, But I had a Sorority Noise t-shirt for a little bit, I listened to their albums, and that guy uh, did some real bad shit I don't want to talk about on the show, it's in the article, so big time Yikes. content warning mm. on those things. But similar to Jimmy, seeing that name come up, it was like, oh man, like, there's been almost five or six years between me and when this music was something that I was at least putting into my head every day, more or less, roughly. And I've just simply moved on from that point. So I think that with, like, kind of everything in mind, I was really going back and forth with how I felt about this album and are we are we ready to set, tell the folks if, if we recommend this or not, chefs? Is that where we're at right now, chef? Chef, I want lead lead us on, chef. Lead or lead us yeah. lead us off with that, chef. Um, I don't think I can, man. I just I don't think that this is a this is a thing that I think has any kind of interest for anybody, and it kind of pains me to say that because there were a couple songs in here that I like listening to a lot. Uh, brought out some real sad moods, but just like with the consideration of the other context around it, and it's it just kind of feels very um, it, it it's a little too outwardly focused for my taste, given the kind of greater context of it, and it's it it's oh it's uh, that's just how I feel about it. That's where I'm at. Nothing too complicated there. Haha, <laughs> uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, where are you with this? What do you think? Yeah. I think the greater project that is Pine Grove and the whole ethos of the thing is very worth exploring. Um, and I think this album is not hopeful for the future of that project artistically. Like, on top of all the stuff we're talking about, like, with the people involved in it, I don't think it's, I mean, it's interrelated. I don't think it's, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a disappointment. I think it's still of interest though. If you're like trying to figure out what this band was about and like, yeah, I think, I think, I think would I recommend I... it? No, I wouldn't recommend it on itself, but if you wanted to check out Pine Grove, 
I think you should listen to it to kind of see where they're at. So that's what we call on this show, Jimmy, a conditional recommend, I think. Yeah. Uh, and that's sure. what I will be giving this album is a conditional recommend. Uh, I think that this is, from what it sounds like, again, I'm the least connected to Pine Grove, it sounds like, of the three of us. I do not uh, think this is probably the place to start with the band, it sounds like. Definitely not the place to start with the band. Right. However... To me, just purely based on the music that I'm hearing, this is harmless music. Now, now, as a whole, with the greater context aside, that's up for you as the listener, I think, to decide. I can't tell you whether or not it is harmless or not harmless. But purely from my perspective, just the album, just sure. the music that's on the album, mm-hmm. fine. Just so fine. Yeah. Not that yeah. interesting as a whole. Mm. Chef's. That is our talk about Mary Gold by Pine Grove. Now we enter the Dragon's Lair. Now we enter the big boy. Happy birthday to Orson Welles. Happy birthday, Chef Orson. <laughs> wait, 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 did you say you're going to get some chimes? Don't back away from that. Are you getting <laughs> No, dude, I'm going to put some fun. It, listen, man, I'm having fun editing these things, getting the karaoke tracks in. Maybe I'll put 12 chimes underneath what we're saying right now for midnight for the chimes at midnight i think you're a bad man for doing are there 12 chimes at midnight or are there zero chimes because it's midnight and the (laughs) clock is reset i'm not that familiar with military time or whatever but that's that's just fans out there listeners (laughs) if you know how many chimes are actually at midnight prop send us an email at everybody wants to number two get on the list but that's right folks we're talking about the 1966 am i right in that is that correct 65 i want to say 65 but i do not (laughs) what is wikipedia saying who cares when a movie was made yeah you're right you're actually correct okay we have chimes at midnight directed by orson welles clap yes um, Chef Jimmy, what is it about this that? Ma- well, first of all, what's your relationship to this film? What's your relationship to the big man himself, and uh, why bring it on the show? Mm-hmm. My relationship to this film this is one of my favorite films. I will oh. say. Oh, uh, yes. yeah, I've seen it yes! many times. I've seen it many times. I kind of stumbled upon it really randomly because I was interested in it from the like Shakespeare perspective of it being. A, not like an adaptation, but like a completely original thing that is yeah. um, pulling from all these different texts to create a movie about a character who is not like a main character in Shakespeare necessarily. Um, and I thought that was really cool. And I, um, yeah, I just kind of, well, I've fallen in love with like the uh, spirit of the thing. And by, you know, transitive property or whatever, I do. I like the Orson Welles-ness of it. Um, I quite love the big man. I, I'm a big fan of F for Fake and the whole idea mm-hmm. of films is this, uh, like, close-up magic delight thing. Um, and what was there was a third part to that? Or no? Why bring I, it on the show? Why bring it on the show? I brought on the show, oh yeah, because when I was arbitrarily a little bit deciding that it was one of my favorite movies for Letterboxd, for the for the clout on Letterboxd, 
there's, uh, there's so many there's so four. many chimes heads on letterbox it is really annoying yeah, that man. that movie yeah, poster man. just is always on my popular with friends week in week out it's just it's like, always in my it's always in my I friends dorms room <laughs> right yeah you just see it next to the yeah <laughs> Anyway, Next uh, Fight Club poster. It's Fight Club. Right. I, I was. I couldn't think of a single other poster that would be in a bedroom, but that is. Those are the ones. Um. When I was deciding that, I saw Noah that you had added it to your watch list. Um. And I remember thinking, like, I feel like I would like my friend Noah to see this as a man who enjoys comedy, and I feel like this movie has a lot to say about like the like spiritual element of like just being funny you know Mm -hmm. Um, that's very that's a very interesting read on why you wanted to share it on this show Mm. not what i was expecting you to say but uh let the spanking begin because you might have a lot to say (laughs) but i can't understand any of it jimbo i can't fucking understand this movie jimbo we are going into it yes i understand um that is a very thoughtful as you always are reason to share this film but just and again, okay. Before I just lay this thon thick with you, Jimbo, just do it. Uh, yeah. I want to say first. I want to say first and foremost, I don't recommend this movie, but that's not the point of this discussion. Much like good, when we good. talked about uh, a film very much of this ilk, Beavis and Butthead to America, uh, <laughs> which I also did not recommend on the show. Uh, cruel. Now it's you're not being the cruel. point of. It's not the point of what this discussion. Me liking or disliking this movie doesn't really fucking matter. I'm not yeah, going to recommend this movie. But uh, are you a Shakespeare guy just in general, Jimmy, or is this sort of an outlier in your taste? Uh, no, I, th- I think it's fair to say that I'm a fan. But it's interesting because I've come to see, like, if, like, thinking, like, you got to, before you watch this movie, I feel I would recommend for people to kill the Shakespeare in their head and just like definitely not think about that not think about like not the kind about how of sanctity you are your English teacher for forcing you to read Othello or whatever yeah you know and yeah and I mm-hmm. I understand why that's super annoying and I and I understand why it's, it is annoying to like watch adaptations of it and it's like I don't like why did you adapt this if it's something that isn't like accessible at all yep. or like understandable <laughs> and that's it <laughs> there, are, there is a way <laughs> man there are some folks like I, it, it, there, there are degrees with shakespeare definitely like you how much you like shakespeare is definitely on a spectrum there's people that are like way into shakespeare and way into that that i know personally and uh there are definitely people that have like you could not even force them to open and read romeo and juliet which is the most like kind of entry level fucking shakespeare shit like you just cannot meet that totally there you know there's a reason um, why it's the only one you should be able to do in high school like people that are trying to do mm. shakespeare productions in high school because you know they don't cost any money to actually have the rights to perform that's kind of their whole thing that's why it's so popular in high schools mm. you should only be doing romeo and juliet and this is coming from a guy who went to a 6 through 12 art school whose 11 and 12th grade english teacher was absolutely obsessed with the bard himself i even took a class called shakespeare as 
lit to get out of the normal lit and comp requirements. And wow. we read and watched adaptations oh. of many Shakespeare plays, including one, including a couple that this movie is based on, actually, uh, including Merry Wives of Windsor and I want to say Henry the Henry Fourth and Parts 1 and 2. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so, actually having some Shakespeare in my back pocket really made me dislike the movie even oh, okay. more. Yeah, because yeah, I was yeah. like, Wait, I'm, in, I'm interested. What's up? Yeah. This is just, well, it's one of those things where I truly didn't go into this movie expecting Shakespeare, like you were saying, the kill the Shakespeare in your head. I went in expecting Orson Welles, you know, ego and whatever, you know, flashing on screen. And I actually want to read this. Uh, I want to read this review by a letterbox person, but he's not only just a letterbox person. He's actually one of the crew of letterbox. Like he's like a person who works for letterbox His name's oh, Jack okay. Moulton. And he pretty much sums up why I did not care for this film in a little, very short, very concise review. This is watched on August 6, 2017. Two questions. This is a review quote, two questions. How much can great atmosphere make up for a film? Great question. That's not that's not part of the review. That's me saying great question, Jack. Because <laughs> Chimes of Midnight has heaps of atmosphere. New question. Am I a total Philistine for finding untranslated Shakespeare way too dense? Honestly, I just don't enjoy it. I don't get into it. I just about follow it. I'm never a fan. I'm sure the performances are great, but even the general sense of the story isn't very riveting for me. And then he says some other stuff about how much he likes Orson Welles as a whole, but that's the brunt of this guy's review out of the people that I personally follow who have seen this movie on Letterboxd. That was the only one review that I could find that echoed my sentiments toward Mm -hmm. this film, but I don't want to leave our friend Mason in the dark here. So Mason, what's your relationship to the big guy? What's your relationship to this movie? Or if you have a relationship to this movie at all, and what'd you think? So I uh, like relationship with the big guy. Love the big guy. Uh, I th- and saying that is a little conditional because it's mostly like I kind of pop in and out with like kind of hit seeing the hits with Orson. Got to get a little deeper. Uh, do love me a lady from Shanghai though. Uh, that shit rips. Oh, yeah. um, I was thinking about how um, mo- I'm sure I've talked about her on the show a lot. I have an aunt that was really into movies and really into showing me old movies. And when I was a kid and being like, I love movies. I want to watch as many as I want. She's like, you have to see Citizen Kane. So I saw it like that movie, like young enough where it wasn't spoiled for me, where the fact sure. that Rosebud killed uh, Kane's father, uh, spoilers, sorry guys, uh, was uh, kind of kept. Is that what happens? Is that the big reveal? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, my God. It's, it's Rosebud killed his father. Um, uh, that, that was like, I was in fourth grade. I was watching it on VHS like in our rented wow. in like our rented home in Michigan just like it was a sunny day my cousins were all at the beach and I'm like I'm going to watch Citizen Kane we got it from family video <laughs> Yeah dude fucking prick <laughs> Yeah dude uh but I can't no, I'm watching it and my aunt immediately recognizes it and gave me a high five it was a great moment of validation for little little old me Um anyways saw that when I was at 4 I was like okay I get it good twist whatever moved on and then I remember buying the movie on, like, DVD when I had, like, a Best Buy gift card. Because I'm like, this is the greatest movie of all time, and I have to own it. Sure. Uh, and that DVD came with a great special feature set that I just, like, tore up. Because it was, like, a whole documentary about Orson Welles and the kind of, like, general 
uh, context around William Randolph Hearst and uh, that movie, Citizen Kane. And we kind of come back to that movie, like taking film classes, you, know, you kind of got to come back to Citizen Kane a lot. And it takes, I think, in my to my mind, you takes a lot of time for you to realize like why this movie like hits so much with with like kind of critics and that stuff but then after that i just knew him as like the big man big orson um and this is a movie that i think this movie chimes at midnight uh i think i attempted to watch at some point and just could not crack it because uh i think like the letter jack moulton uh, Shakespeare is not the first thing that I go to when I'm trying to have a good time. <laughs> it's usually like... <laughs> Hell no. It's usually like... Um, my last thing with Shakespeare that I can remember consciously trying to interact with was my sister's college uh, did a Midsummer's Night's Dream, and I came back from the city to support the theater because a, friend, a couple friends of mine from high school were in it. Um, Amen. Amen. Uh, but other than that, I'm not like a big. I. Other than that, it's just like you. You guys know who Kyle Colgren is. Browse held high. Owen Citizen from way back in the yeah. that guy with the glasses days. He's big on Shakespeare. I would always watch his Shakespeare videos because I think that he kind of distills Shakespeare really well. Um, mm-hmm. And watching this, my experience when it was turned on, and they were talking. And then I panicked because there were no subtitle options. My first thought yeah. was to text Noah yep. and be like, this is going to be your favorite movie we've ever covered on the show and say nothing else, really. <laughs> um, and, and you did. And, it, it, yes. And um, then it was just kind of like, okay, I'm going to have to kind of just sit and be okay with the fact that I don't understand what they're saying and allow the rest of the kind of filmmaking language to carry me through this. And I'm watching it, and it's I gotta say, I was a little stressed out watching it cause, just because I couldn't crack it because I didn't know what they were saying. Even though I'm sure I was following the story perfectly fine, I'm like, there's still this layer of things that I cannot engage with. And then it gets to the end of the movie... And uh, I get so choked up and so emotional. I'm just like, fuck this movie. This is a good movie. I like this movie yes. a lot. Um, well, Jim, you're yes. uh, you're over there. You know, big, you give me a little devil horns shake, with so. this. Yeah, that's, that's it. Are you are you, are you is that sort of where you're at with this one as well? Where it's like fuck the fuck the written language, fuck the spoken language. Just enjoy <laughs> what this movie can do when it washes over you. Is that where you're coming from? I, I think, yeah, like, okay, the first time I saw this movie, I think, and I think this is everyone's experience of it, it is, you cannot, you cannot capture and understand and, like, meditate over every single line of dialogue, and it's annoying because there is a sense of there being lots of jokes in the dialogue and puns and shit. Totally. Uh, I saw it, and it was just kind of like an experience and, like, puns. a curiosity. Like, let's just, like, make that, let's yeah. make that clear, 600-year-old puns. Yeah, it's right. Like anybody who really so understands who even knows? it. And would like guffaw over it has been like long dead and is worm food at this point. <laughs> but but this is this is what is cool about the project for me, like the whole thing that Orson Welles is doing here, and like and like you said, like you have to kind of submit to every other aspect of filmmaking other than like the script element of it. You have to like it, like the blocking and composition and lighting is gonna have to convey all the emotions to you. And the kind of emotions they are is are very deep and not 
Totally. Like simplistic, like in like there's a lot that can be communicated with just composition and blocking in the way of like terror or farce you know yeah this is about like restraint even there's a lot of like oh like emotions like under the surface here and orson even you know everyone has probably seen citizen kane he's pretty much the master of blocking actors in a way that leads you to the next thing without needing to know what exactly might be going on but continue jimmy yeah right I do feel that like the ending of that movie is kind of transcendent uh and just like very beautiful. I think so too. I to your he, like yeah. The, to your point like well, there's an in interviews like he says that that's what the whole the whole movie is set up for the final scene. I and like it, I, contemplation of the final scene. I think it mm. works man because it's it's like um you're so right. I'm thinking about like the scene where I knew that I had to kind of just put my kind of prejudices and my uh, annoyance and my frustration aside, or at least like check it while I was watching, was the early scene where Falstaff and Prince Hal are at the, uh, like kind of in the bar or wherever. And it's like right after, it's right after the robbery. Um, and. Falstaff is like doing this big fish tale about this and then they're kind of play acting as the king and Prince Hal gets the the crown or whatever and Falstaff kind of puts like a pot on his head or something it's it's very silly it's it's it is very funny um but kind of I'm trying to think of maybe throughout this discussion I'll think of the the kind Mm -hmm. of of the reference point that I have for this but it's very funny in a way that you like you can see the kind of arc of this friendship in that scene, which is this is a, a relationship that is going to be on a steady decline for most of it. And I think I noticed that when, you know, there's a lot of shots from underneath Falstaff. It's like making him seem like big and small or like huge, I'm sorry, huge and very uh, boisterous, very, um, mm-hmm. you get why he's a good guy to be around and why he's fun. Even if you may not be like a, a strong influence, he's a knight for God's sake. He's Sir John Falstaff. Um, and then there's a shot from behind of the prince, I think right before, uh, like, the, some guards show up looking for him or something. Prince Hal, as the king, over his shoulder, a low angle on Falstaff, and he just looks so small all of a sudden. And you were kind of, in that moment, I was like, talking about it now, I think the point is for as big of a character that this Falstaff guy is, he's always going to be secondary to Prince Hal's kind of duty to the crown and to his family. Um, that he cannot kind of overtake that duty that Prince Hal has, Prince eventual King Henry V. Um, and again, when that kind of gets paid off at the very, very end, after King Prince Hal becomes King Henry V in a sense and kind of pushes aside his friend I mean I don't want to talk about like the kind of last shot of Falstaff right now but it's it's so gutting it's one of the, the very it's one of my favorite things I think uh, it, it, it's recency bias I think talking uh, screaming at me right now but that is just like the look that Orson Welles has to King Henry V at that point is just like ooh baby that is the good stuff that is why you uh, that is why we make movies that is why actors that like that are to the level of Orson Welles's crafting command of character um 
that's just it's it's I love it. Noah, you're how are you how are you doing over there, buddy? How are you feeling about this discussion? Well, the it's fine. You guys are making great points, like legitimately. I, like I think it's cool that you guys are like into that movie in that way. Uh, for me, I gotta be able to. You know, for not necessarily, I don't want to use the term enjoy in the word like, oh, like I'm having a great time. But like in something like Requiem for a Dream, I'm not enjoying what I'm seeing, but I am fucking captivated. I have to be that during a film in order for it to be one of those experiences for me. And there's a lot of films that do that uh, that are also considered, you know, highbrow or high art. And then there's movies like potentially this one where it doesn't really hit you until the end. And it's like, you think about it and chew on it for a long time. Those are the ones that I can oftentimes say like, yeah, that was pretty good. But oftentimes for me, those are the movies that maybe get better as time goes on. But most of the time I say, you know, I really appreciate that movie, but I don't enjoy that movie. And I think that's where this one is landing with me. I really appreciate everything that's happening in this but in no way do I really enjoy it. But I do want to say it is amazing that Orson was able to get this film made. It's a co-production between Switzerland and Spain. And he was able to drag John Gilgood and Ralph yes. Richardson into the yeah, movie in some, kind, in some capacities, which without the perfect trio of Laurence Olivier being there, those are like mm. two of the greatest Shakespearean actors of like the 20th Dude. century. So that's an amazing little mm. nod to his clout. I gave a little, I gave a little pump during the opening credits when I saw Gilgood was gonna show off. I was like, "Hell yeah, baby! Let's get some there Gilgood go. in here." And you, he also roped in. This is one of my favorite things in the in the opening credits. This is when I gave my biggest fist up and knew I was gonna be in for something good. Uh, one of the producers on this movie is Harry Saltzman, who produced I think the first seven James Bond movies with. Albert Brooklyn. Oh wow. Which is nut so but so that Harry Saltzman so in between making I believe uh it, uh uh what is it? You only live twice, which is the James Bond movie that's next in my rewatch. Uh and the Michael Caine film Funeral in Berlin was like I got to lend a hand to Orson real quick and help him make this John Falstaff movie. Well, the two and there the others there's two moments in this film and then I want to sort of talk about maybe the greater context of this film. Uh, as like a as sort of a meta text, um, but the other like within the film itself, you got to love that battle sequence that happens in the middle Rip of City. the film. Like, love it, just Rip City, baby. Like Jimmy, where where what what do you what are you thinking and feeling when you're watching that battle sequence? It's well, one thing that is sort of annoying is that you hear about the battle sequence before you watch the movie mm-hmm. because it's like one of the things that that people talk about. Or at least I did a little bit. But that being said, it like sneaks up on you, which is totally. very artful to me because like ultimately, I mean, it seems like what could be easier and simpler to convey than that like war is just like cruelty and uselessness and waste. You know, we've seen so many movies that do that. It's yeah, actually become sure. something that even like pro-war movies do. So it doesn't even matter anymore. But in this movie, it's <laughs> really like it really uh, works its way up so slowly and everything that contextualizes it from Falstaff and like his way of life and like being like a coward is like so brave, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, it, it's very like, um, it starts to be about like the whole world to me, the chaos of it. And then that it ends with the fight, the fight between, um, Prince Hal and, 
his brother the other guy yes his his, yeah Whatever. that guy the yeah. guy who is like the antagonizing for yeah um i think that is a real chef's kiss dismount it's it is a oh dismount wow Whew. uh nice. get off that horse brother uh <laughs> i have to dismount that <laughs> Oh, gotta 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 park your horse like in Red Dead. Can you imagine if? Can you imagine this movie happening in the fucking Red Dead universe? All right, dismount. You press B, just fucking boom. Uh, sorry, I even brought that up. Fuck me. Staff Road, gonna ride like I'm Olsen Wells. I'm not gonna finish it. Give me more time. I will come. Hey, you're you're stealing cousin Luke's thunder on that one, dude. True, true. Shout out to Old Thanos Road, baby. But uh, the 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 other the other one the other moment of the film that I think we have to talk about is uh, basically everything from it's like the last like ten minutes of the movie I guess where like yeah. he actually like, Prince Hal turns on his friend and the final shot of the film even if you like did not see like ninety percent of the movie and you just see those last ten minutes that's its own little short story oh, within totally. itself and this little mini masterpiece of filmmaking at the end of the film what do you what are you guys thinking about uh, Jimmy first and then Mason. Hmm. Um. It's changed the more times I've seen it. I think my first time around, I'm kind of like being like struck over the head with like it's happening. The end of this story is happening. There's like this doom right. sense. It it's like a very intense buildup. It's very long from when he like becomes king to him getting the news to him going there and it's like the tension is building the whole time and i'm just like i know what it'll be um so that and and like experiencing it is just very like emotional and then like i feel like on my other watches um i am like i'm really like i guess sort of astounded in that I'm thinking about like how personal and real this this moment is in this movie, which takes place in a reality that is completely unrecognizable to me, and like yeah. I could never believe had anything to do with reality. For sure. Even like mm-hmm. you know, I would have to, yeah, like that's not even what in the vocabulary of like what Shakespeare was doing. He doesn't you know making something be realistic. Um, it's so far removed from that the moment is so like true and realistic like we have all been turned away from in this way and we've all turned away from people in this way and totally. you know yeah. whatever you're like becoming the king thing is like it could just be i don't want to listen to this type of music anymore or like i don't want to like live this way you know whatever that whatever it is the um that moment is like cake baked into like the experience of being alive as far as i understand it i definitely feel like it is and then um that it could be so personal but then it can also be very like universal in a kind of uh garden of eden sense of like where people fleeing the like purity of just like being happy to think like humanity has to accomplish something you know Mm -hmm. uh i think about that a little bit more and really not like like what's interesting to me is that i can feel this the particular and the universal at the same time 
I love that. Love that. Love that, Chef. Chef Mason, can you give your uh, little feeling about that I, the, I in ten minutes? I don't think I can sum it up better than that, dude. Honestly, like it's just it just it's it is heartbreaking. Like that was my immediate um, and kind of strongest reaction was, even though it was kind of inevitable that Henry would have to turn on his friend to uh, take his place. It is just like it's it's. This is one of the things that I love about movies specifically so much. I think that there are very few TV shows that can kind of get on this level where you understand instinctively, uh, just kind of emotionally, uh, the the um, the just sort of the passage of time and the passage of relationships and the passage of just kind of everything. Um, it, it's a very hard, very big subject to try and codify into something more or less material like a movie or another or a work of art or something um and watching it i was just you know, staff looks up at king hal or prince hal king henry and has this look of um like pride and understanding and um sadness uh a, a lot of Confl- sometimes conflicting and maybe opposite um, feelings at the same time um, occurring in that scene. And then he just sort of like accepts it and walks away and dies of a broken heart, which is just, it just, it just guts me. Like it just, just I'm performing seppuku right here. I'm just cutting over it and putting my guts on the floor. Um, that's really it, man. I mean, like it kind of, remi- it reminds me of like, it's it's a bigger punch in the gut than a lot of other similar endings, and it just kind of reminds me of like the ending of the master, you know, which is another like I think kind of top sure. kind of moment like this where you are just at the definite end of a journey, um, and a definite end of a relationship with two people that have been through so much together. In the master, you sort of see their whole the whole of their relationship uh, with chimes at midnight. There's totally. an understanding that this is, you're kind of coming in towards the back end of this. Um, and it, but I think they kind of hit in similar ways where they're both about people that um, were together for uh, and just were together and had a, a plenty good time, but just because of, who they are sort of constitutionally either through with in the case of times at midnight, like kind of their duties and their um, stature in their sort of communities with um, the master. It's more something like just their general sort of personalities um, are kind of at once like so um, perfect and else they just can't be together for a long period of time. Um, but with times at midnight, it's because this is it's kind of a force of nature that is tearing these two apart um and the most heartbreaking thing for me is just that um prince henry king henry's personality switches so quickly when he realizes kind of what he has to do and who he has to uh uh uh, um become uh what the his duty is and that's like the kind of the ending narration sort of says that too um it's it's heartbreaking and it's it's very i think human and like jimmy said it's um 
I think that's why Shakespeare endures, if I can just kind of put in my like kind of outside thought of it. It's not just because it's free and public domain. There's an awful lot of shit that's also very good that's public domain that could be... That's definitely part of it. But I think that there is a quality to his writing that makes it... Um, it's so good almost because it is so... Aside from the language, the storytelling is just so spare and perfect. And you can apply it so easily to other settings. Um, and I think that there is like this, this deep emotive core and this understanding of, uh, uh, at least in this case, the case of this stuff, the work that this, this movie is based off of the passage of time, the passage of, of duty, the passage of, um, just, just, uh, how being a King is awful because you're not allowed to have friends kind of, you know, like that's it. That's, it brings up a lot in me, and that's why I really, I think, love this movie a couple days after watching it even. I feel safe to say that. I might bump it into the Alzheimer's Club even and come back to it later, but, like, it's, I think it's a really remarkable movie, and it was, Wells's, it was Wells's favorite movie that he ever made, um, and I can kind of see that. And even, like, I, I didn't get a chance to bring up, did you guys get around to seeing Other Side of the Wind when that was in theaters, or on Netflix or whatever a couple years ago? No, I never Damn. got to I, that I one. did see that. I did yeah. see that movie. I really like that movie. Me too. And yeah. I think it is really added to my understanding of Orson Welles. Well, I think what's, uh, what's interesting in addition uh, to... Like, I think one of the reasons why this movie does endure for so many people, A, it is Shakespeare, like you were saying, Mason, which somehow never goes out of style, even if you can't fucking understand <laughs> yeah. what they're saying. Yeah. But hey, I'm not going to sit here and say that I know what he's saying. The character know? of Falstaff was one of those characters that Wells was almost destined to play for one reason or another. There's theories out there that I was reading about that he sees himself in Falstaff as sort of just this, like, guy that could never have been taken seriously after, like, what he was done after Kane, blah, 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 and he, like, never fully lived up to his full potential, which, if that's your read on it, then that ending where Hal is turning away from uh, Falstaff is basically him turning away from himself, which is really brutal, bleak, and terrible, but then there's the other read that Falstaff, he related so much to Falstaff because he saw his father in mm. Falstaff, which I think is the more like interesting yeah. read. Because in that yeah. read, if if you look at the ending, he being Orson is the Prince Hal character, now the King Henry character, and is turning away from his father. Because in a lot of ways, Falstaff and his father were very similar in that they were both drunkards, they both basically, you know, I don't want to say corrupted uh, their offspring or their, like, young friend, but in a lot of ways, like... Uh, Jimmy got up because he did not want to <laughs> fucking hear any more about Falstaff. Uh, but um, but um, he like is he in a lot of ways Orson Welles' dad was just like, um, you know, being that guy who's like taking his son to like a whorehouse and like Allie's asking his son to like bail him out. And this is like before he's like considered an adult and like it just really that hearing that. Yeah, because his dad died when he was, like, 15 or his something. His dad died right? when he was like, really super... Orson was orphaned fairly He young. was. He was orphaned when he was in his in his teenage years. And that is what really made me want a really damn good Orson Welles biopic. Like, that's... When I heard that, I was like, damn, like, we really How need that. Like, yeah. that's really what we need, and we can call it whatever you want. But, like, that... When I heard that, I was like, okay, Orson is one of those guys who, even if you're not, like, 
super into his movies, he does fall in that category. And I kind of feel this way about Hitchcock as well, where you might, the, the filmmaker is sometimes more interesting than the films that they're making. And I do think that Orson does fall into that category. I haven't seen enough of his movies to be like, Oh, like I love lady from Shanghai or I love magnificent Aversons because I just haven't seen them, but seeing this and seeing what he was able to do, uh, on a very small budget, I want to say the reported budget of this film is around eight hundred thousand yeah. dollars, which is absolutely nothing by today's standards. And like as a co-production, which is, is basically a foreign film as far as release like goes, like it's amazing to see what he is able to pull off. And you know, just in a time period where, can you imagine seeing this in nineteen sixty six? Just like being thing. like, it's, oh, uh, what? So this like, is where I want to bring up. Uh, there's a great Letterbox account. Uh, called Not Pauline Kale, and what they do is they kind of compile Pauline nice. Kale reviews and just kind of put them up for people to read. Uh, Pauline Kale really liked this movie. There are two logs in here, one for a sort of shorter form from Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and one's a longer one. Um, this movie, according to Pauline Kale's reporting as a critic, I think she was working in New York at this time, kind of came and went because they were more or less scared of the, uh, uh, the film critic for the New York Times at the time, this guy... Bosley Crowther, who literally got fired because he was too mean to Bonnie and Clyde, um, which is one of my favorite. <laughs> yeah, what, oh, it, wow. it was like this is like so, he's just like some old bitch and didn't like Bonnie and Clyde, and they're like, "You got to get out of here, dude." <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> I have a book of damn talk about literally opening the doors for Hollywood, but like literally, like they literally they, kicked no, out they the really old did. Guard. And if you, awesome. I have a book of uh, the thousand best movies. Uh, the, like New York Times a thousand best movies from like the early 2000s that's like just a compilation of New York Times reviews and reading his Bonnie and Clyde one's really funny because he's just so not the audience for it and just cannot handle the fact that he's like kind of times passing him by I think but there's um there's two the, the, this is a paragraph from the longer Pauline Kale review that I think is really interesting and I think kind of sums up my feelings on uh this movie <clears throat> excuse me Yeats said, Rhetoric is heard, poetry overheard. And though I don't agree, I think I see what he means, and I think this assumption is involved in much of that rejection of a talent like Wells's. His work is often referred to as flashy and spectacular, as if this also meant cheap and counterfeit. Wells is unabashedly theatrical in a period when much of the educated audience thinks theatrical flair vulgar, artistry intellectually respectable only when subtle, hidden. Wells is the approach of a popular artist. He glories in both verbal and visual rhetoric. He uses the film theatrically, not stagely, but with theatrical bravado. He makes a show of the mechanics of film. He doesn't, if I may be forgiven the pun, hide his tracks. Movies gave him the world for a stage, and his is not the art that conceals art, but the showman's delight in the flourishes with which he pulls the rabbit from the hat. This is why he was the wrong director for the trial, where the poetry needed uh, to be overheard. Close parentheses. I think that many people who enjoy these flourishes, who really love them, as I do, are so fearfully educated that they feel they must put them down. It's as if people said he's a mountebank, an actor showing off. But there's life in that kind of display. It's part of an earlier theatrical tradition that Wells carries over into film. It's what theater has lost, and it's what brought people to the movies. And I think that that's sort of the wider appeal of Orson Welles is that large, literally larger than life um, personality. It's, right. it's the um, 
I saw uh, I went out of I went to see The Other Side of the Wind at the NoHo Lemley Noah because I thought it was gonna not be in theaters. I, oh, yeah, I thought it was not gonna yeah. be in theaters after a certain point, and then it was still gonna be in theaters. So I like kind of rushed out one day to see it at like ten o'clock at night. Uh, and I bring it up uh, because like watching it, I'm like, this is. I feel like this is a thing that like movies have lost. I think PTA gets kind of close to doing it, especially with Magnolia. It's a very a movie that's full of bravado. Um, but I think that that's what is the kind of what's so interesting about this movie and why I think maybe it's his favorite is because um, Chimes at Midnight, Falstaff is a very bravura character um, but there is like, and this movie is kind of about how the wider world just takes those guys and gets rid of them and discards them about as fast as, as when they're not necessary anymore um, and it's maybe that personality type. Yeah. I don't. I don't consider that personality type disposable. I'd rather have more of those guys around than benevolent kings or whatever. Um, but it is like that's what I think the secret sauce in this movie is. Is that it's it's this this understanding of just how implicitly tragic these comic characters are. Um, it's the sort of the the sad clown Pagliacci but Dr. I am Pagliacci kind of thing. You know, it's it's the, the sadness that's inherent to all comedy, I think. And that's why... Yeah. I would still classify this as a comedy, I think. Maybe a tragic comedy. I don't know. But, um, I yeah, I like Wells. I like this movie. I, it's, it's awesome. I love it. Jimmy. Jimmy, thank you for bringing this movie on. Let's move into the recommendo portion and sort of yes. wrap up our show here. Jimmy, first of all, thank you for bringing this show on. Thank you for being here. Can you give your, us your final thoughts, your final words on this, and then if you'd recommend this movie or not? Uh, I would definitely recommend this movie. I would say I really like the quote that Mason read, and um, I think it's, you know, Orson Welles is a little bit of a champion of this whole filmmaking thing and like um i think the production of this movie is insane and like the fact that it exists is insane and the fact that he could be so good at making movies and everyone knows this afterwards but no one ever wanted to let him make a movie no um i think it adds it like dramatizes everything that he's able to accomplish and um like each movie is like a personal yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. fuck you almost. Oh, it's like, like a, yeah, oh yeah. It's like he stole it. Every movie was stolen and I think that's amazing. I think that's great. <laughs> I love that feeling. Um yeah, I I think he does something which is really hard for me to imagine right now, which is like to kind of like speak to your time but to speak to all time and to like live the shit that you believe in and to do it all in a way that's not like mystifying and like uh feeling incomplete thank you Jimmy. thank you I very much it. that's very eloquently yeah. well said mason do you I recommend do. this, this is movie a full recommend for me i with the kind of condition that you are hopefully if you can find a version of this that has subtitles on it put them on yeah. but just kind of you're gonna ha- when you put this on and you're sitting down to watch it, you're just gonna have to accept that you're not gonna understand fully what is every single word that is on screen. I didn't, and I still had a great time watching it. I think this yeah. is a movies aren't about dialogue, you know. 
no, no, the dialogue no, no. is functional in the movie. I, you, it's about you, time. <laughs> it's about Whatever. time, man. It's uh, and there's the uh, uh, yeah. again just to re- kind of revel in the production. Also, this is an incredibly well. Uh, the production design here is incredible. Orson's incredible in it. All the acting is incredible in it. Um, I, there's just kind of not another movie that I can think of like it, and that's one of the biggest uh, compliments I think I can and one can give something. Uh, so full recommend for me. I wish that I had heard this podcast <laughs> before I had watched the movie. To be honest with you, uh, I think I would have enjoyed the movie more. Enjoy whatever enjoy well, you can means, always watch whether it again. I was captivated or not, uh, I, dude. I I'm telling you, <laughs> no, I, I really. The first time I watched this movie, I feel like I had the same reaction as you, and then a second time it came together for me. And I might have had subtitles a second time. So <laughs> that could be a factor. Definitely would love some fucking closed caption on that, but. You know, I'm never going to say never, never say never. Uh, but as of now, uh, I'm not watching. I'm not popping this one back on tonight for the rewatch. I got too much Sopranos to yeah, get ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but this, unfortunately, is not a recommendo for me, but it is falling into that category, much like the film M mm. by Fritz Lang, where I do not like the movie, but I very much appreciate what the film does. And I do want to say one more thing that we didn't quite get around to, but uh, Orson Welles has that famous quote where he based, and I'm going to paraphrase, but I learned from the masters, John Ford, John yeah. Ford and John Ford, that battle sequence with the horses that is ripped straight from yes. Stagecoach, and pretty yeah. much everything John Ford did after Stagecoach. We, Jimmy and I were forced to watch Stagecoach uh, at oh, film yeah. school. I don't know if you were, Mason, but they strapped we were their forced to watch it in the big old Felino <laughs> Theater. And you know what? I borrowed... And I fell asleep. <laughs> I, uh, I, fell asleep I borrowed a Blu-ray of Criterion, either Blu-ray or DVD copy of Stagecoach from one former guest, Sonny Dion Jr. Yes. So that's how Stagecoach came into my life. Uh, but he's ripping that all that stuff with the horses and the way that that thing is cut. I don't think without Stagecoach, um, you know, and what all of his subsequent work, uh, we would have something like the battle sequence, which is so famous and so lauded from this film. So uh, artists repaying their debts to their former artists that they looked up to always love to see those homages in movies, but that pretty much wraps it up. Jimmy, uh, as always, thank you for being here. Where can people find you if they want to find you? And do you want to plug anything before we say, Uh, I have nothing to plug, but if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, you can follow me at J E H M B O Jumbo. Thank you, Thank Jimmy. You, Chef. Um, if you want to get in touch with this show, you can email us at everybody wants to number two get on the list. If you want to follow us on the socials, you can get us on Instagram at it's on the or excuse me at it's on underscore the list. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at it's on the list pod. Like us on Facebook, it's on the list with Noah and Mason. And if you want to follow <laughs> me on you any social like you? Medias, you <laughs> You can follow me on any social medias. You can uh, follow me on Instagram at Noah.Marja. That's dot spot out D-O-T. If you want to follow me on Twitter at Moanarja, letterbox, same shit. Uh, Wild G, you've heard it all before. This You probably hate this part of the show if you listen to the show every week. Mason, find where can me they find on you? On my uh, other podcast, The Barn, a podcast about the Shield. We are deep into season six. We are coming up on the end of season six right now. It's very good. Uh, you can also find me on Letterboxd, where I am reviewing movies. You can also find me on Instagram at Hot Dog Debicki. 
Uh, you can also find me if you're curious to know what I'm reading. I'm on Goodreads also. I have two Goodreads accounts, apparently. Oh, yeah, yikes. so if you're curious about what I'm reading currently, the one where I, the profile where I don't have any hair, that's the one that I'm updating. Right now, I am reading The Thief, which is a <laughs> book by Fuminori Nakamura. It is about a pickpocket in Tokyo that gets into some trouble. And folks... It's pretty good. Uh, that's not going to be my recommendo this week. My other recommendo for nice. the week is I need to find the playlist that I put this band in. Okay, it is this band. Um, uh, the band is Bamboo. The album is Prince Ponsori Priestess. Um, this band came into my life uh, from a playlist by the band uh, Sacred Paws. They had a little What We're Listening To playlist, and I put it on shuffle. And their song Hexagonal came up. In a blue, my fucking mind, and the rest of that album is also very good. I recommend it. Noah, do you have a recommendo for the folks this week? Uh, I try and recommend stuff that isn't like media based uh, if I can, but I've just been re listening to a lot of Earl Sweatshirt recently. He's a very interesting nice. musical artist, and I do think that Doris is an amazing album that came out in 2013. So I would go on Spotify and listen to Doris, and if you can find his evil EP that he released that is not on Spotify, that's just called Earl. Uh, I'd recommend it. It takes cursing to a whole new level is what the shitty clickbait article about it would say uh, if there was one such written as that. But that about does it. Jimmy Jimmy Evans, Evans, everybody. Thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, We'll see you next week with another friend. friend.